0: This is another type of warfare, new in its intensity, ancient in its origin, war by guerrillas, subversives, insurgents, assassins, 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 assassins. War by ambush instead of by combat, by infiltration instead of aggression, seeking victory by eroding and exhausting the enemy instead of engaging him. It is a form of warfare uniquely adapted to what has been strangely called Wars of Liberation. You may hold a position of command with our special forces. Forces which are too unconventional to be called conventional. Forces which are growing in number and important and significant. And these are the kinds of challenges that will be before us in the next decade. If freedom is to be saved, it requires a whole new kind of strategy, a wholly different kind of force, and therefore a new and wholly
1: different kind of military training. This is my 41st episode of this podcast and I've actually never have taken up this topic before. And I think it's actually, it's very important because you know so many of the older veterans are passing away and we only have the stories that the kids or grandkids can tell. So it raises the question of like, who will tell the story once the veterans have passed on? On episode 41 of Veteran Voices, the oral history podcast, we talk about vicarious storytelling. After veterans are gone, who will tell their stories? So Veteran Voices, the oral history podcast features conversations with those who tell veteran stories in creative and interesting ways, such as oral historians, authors, poets, playwrights, photographers, and family members. Today with me is Army Airborne Veteran of the Cold War, Mike Lombardi, whose own story of service is worth noting, but Mike is going to share his father's story. Mike, you know, your dad was a Special Forces man in the Army?
2: Yes, yes he was. He was a Green Beret Master Sergeant, uh, served with the 5th Special Forces early, and then transferred to the 7th Group. So you're an army brat. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> I was born at Walmart, Fort Bragg.
1: See, this is a part of you, Mike. that I really don't know. And for our audience, uh, full disclosure, Mike and I went to high school together, and and we actually haven't spoken in many many years. But through the magic of Facebook, we've uh, we've reconnected and um, have many uh, interesting conversations on Facebook. But this side of your your life, Mike, I really never knew. I mean, I knew your dad was in the in the army. I knew he was a career man but so when you came to western pennsylvania uh, what part was your dad in his career
2: retired my father always wanted to move back up to beaver falls that's where he grew up and i love the town i love beaver falls
1: and what year did you come here
2: i believe that was 1971 or around 72 i believe so, so you you remember
1: being on basis with your dad, and you remember his career, of course,
2: yeah, but did
1: your dad tell you stories about the service?
2: He really didn't discuss much about the war itself. he more discussed about his team at work. He really didn't get into a lot. There were times that my father would start talking about it when You know, families get together, you know, they're drinking wine or whatever. Then he would start talking a little bit about it. But uh, he didn't talk about much. I really didn't know more about what he did until after I got into service and I was stationed at Fort Bragg. And I met some of the people that knew my father. So I learned more that way.
1: So you met the guys that uh, actually served with him?
2: Yes. I actually uh, met a few of them. Uh, When my father died, there were a few soldiers that came up. When my father died in uh, September of 82, uh, they came up, uh, showed their respects, and we talked to them. So that's how I got to know more about what my father did. Uh, My father was uh, the baby of a family. From what I understood, he was always the protector of his sister's. And his only brother, Tony, and he left high school, never graduated, joined the Navy. Oh. Yeah, joined the Navy. And after he got out of the Navy, he joined the Army, wanted to go airborne. And he went into Special Forces. So never graduated high school, but when he got out of the service, He had a mechanical engineering degree. He spoke four languages. That was his career. That was his life. So your father retired in what year? It was 71 or 72. And I remember he took me up. (laughs) This was a crazy drive. Uh, We drove from Fort Bragg up to Beaver Falls, and he was looking for property to buy up there on Darlington road and i just remember that drive it was horrible <laughs> but he took me with him
1: and he had how many years in the service
2: he had i believe
1: it was 22 or 23 years total with navy and army so 51 so he's a korean war veteran as well oh yeah absolutely yes wow was he in involved with the korean war at all he was in combat
2: I believe, I can't remember exactly what unit he was in with the Korean War, but yeah, he was there. When it comes to
1: family members knowing of their loved one's service, one of the biggest barriers, if you will, is the veterans combat service. I mean, naturally, a lot of veterans who go through combat, they don't want to talk about a lot of things, you know? So, and, and, you know, in the veterans oral history community, we often talk about these periods and moments in the lives of veterans where they can or cannot talk about the stories. And usually when people are older, they open up and they share the stories. Did your dad ever, did he ever have periods in his life that, that he absolutely would not talk about? Or you sense that there was something there that was bothersome to him and he, and he wouldn't share that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there were certain points of conversation he would avoid. I remember before my dad retired, uh, we had a bad experience at Fort Bragg. My father, and again, I'm saying this because I want people to understand this, of what we went through. He had a flashback, and we woke up, and he was crawling down the hallway, speaking Vietnamese. And we ran out of the house, and the street we lived on, Clayton Drive in Fayetteville, just right off the base of Fort Bragg, um, it was, you know, Gold Knight and Green Berets who lived on that street, and we went to our neighbors. We served with my father. And he had to go help us out. I mean, that's, you know, some of the stuff. He never talked about it, but I noticed that he avoided conversations. Whenever something comes up, I just can sense that there were times he avoided to even talk about anything.
1: Do you know anything about what he actually went through? Like, Do you have specifics on his unit?
2: No, I don't have specifics. I do know that, I don't know if this is accurate, but I remember my mother told me there was a time that when I was little, we were living up in Massapequa, with his relatives while he was over in Vietnam that we couldn't locate him. He was missing for like seven months. And I don't know specifics. I didn't get into it. I didn't look into that. Maybe I should have, but... Now, I have to
1: ask you this because it's germane to, you know, the topic, you know, the vicarious storytelling. Do you have any interest in going back to the records, if you will, and trying to find out what those perhaps darker periods of your dad's service were about. Do you have
2: any interest in that at all? No, I do. I mean, I want to know more about what my father went through with Korea and Vietnam, especially Vietnam. I just know that it was rough growing up with him. He was so disciplined and it was hard. I mean, he really wanted tough kids and, I want to know more about what made that, you know, what caused him to want us to do that and, you know, have that type of discipline. And maybe that's why I joined the Army myself, you know, because I thought it was the right thing to do. It, it, it's, I thought that was what my father wanted me to do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to know exactly more about what he did and what he's went through of, uh, My wife, Laura, and I, we were talking about going to Vietnam, you know, just to go where my dad was at, you know, just to see what he's been through and experience it.
1: I had a a wonderful interview with a World War II veteran and this is in conjunction with um, StoryCorps. You know, they, they're on national public radio, and they had a, a national day of listening for a number of years, and we were a part of that. And we had this interview with a World War II veteran who went through Europe. He had his two grandsons there. And so he's telling stories, and he ends up telling us a story. And for him, it was rather tongue-in-cheek, but it was um, it was a crime. <laughs> he divulged a crime. Yeah. Yeah. And his grandsons, and he didn't bat an eye at telling the kids, and the kids... I mean they were adults of course but they were just taking this in and, and as as the sort of the witness me on the other side of the camera and yeah. the microphones I was like wait a minute is this guy just admitting that he committed a crime here at the war yeah. um it wasn't a war crime by any means but it was seedy you know what I mean it was really off color yeah. and um uh, it is what it is so I just always wondered how those his grandchildren sort of really took that up. Did it change any, uh, you know, opinion of their grandfather? Which I assume it didn't. But I have to ask you: Do you have any ambivalence about perhaps finding out some of the underbelly? No,
2: I, I it's I want to know more. I mean, I've always was intrigued. I never pursued it, and I just know one time my dad back in Beaver Falls on Darlington Road. <laughs> My dad hosted his team party. Every year, the survivors of his team, they would get together, so this was my dad's time to host it. And what was interesting was he didn't allow us to stay. We had to go someplace. (laughs) If I was a fly on a wall, I would have loved it. But, yeah, my brother, Frankie, my sister, Cindy, and I, and my mother – we were asked to leave. Yeah. I mean, he, I thought that was odd. So did you feel that he
1: was, during periods of his life, walling you off, walling your family off from his experiences, perhaps out of his own inability to talk about it, but also maybe to protect you from
2: that reality? That I sense that. I mean, he really didn't talk much about it, but I do recall when certain movies come on uh, he would be zoned in and he would talk to us about the movie itself. And I remember when the movie Green Berets came on with John Wayne and my dad sat there and he was kind of almost narrating the movie. <laughs> and, you know, and we kept on telling my father, shut up, we're watching the movie. <laughs> and he was kind of like narrating it. Oh, this and that, this and that. But he never talked about anything else other than fact. You know oh, this is what they're doing this is what's happening
1: now that's interesting and, and in my own experience interviewing just hundreds of, of veterans the facts come first right i went here i did this on this date uh, i was with you that comes first what comes later and often it takes some time and it takes a a bit of a relationship i think with the interviewer or even with a family member uh, just a certain kind of relationship for the emotionality to come forth like how did they feel about when they were in that battle or they reached over and their buddy's uh you know torso was was blown off how that made them feel that's the stuff that always always comes later and i imagine in your family from here from what you're telling me you didn't get much of the emotional side of it right
2: no we didn't my dad was always strong towards the end he never showed emotions he had some setbacks and like families there's always problems you know there's always issues you know which he he's not proud of but i mean given that this guy went through two wars and survived and given you know he was with special forces i you know there's always going to be challenges and he never never complained he never just talked about his challenge at eight. It,
1: it, Can you tell me what you mean by challenges?
2: He had anger, flashbacks, you know, just, you know, I'm gonna be honest, I, I'm not proud to say, but there was some physical abuse hmm. um, and it was hard. It was like growing up, we're like, okay, we're making excuses. We're like, okay, this is what he's gone through, so it's okay, you know, and that's how it was for a while and even though it's not okay but that's what we were thinking at the time and he did get help he did seek help but you know given what he went through those were our excuses and i think as a whole as a family maybe we made the wrong decision as a family i it's, it's we should have done something different
1: how would you know i mean back in the day we really did not have the kind of awareness we do now around post-traumatic stress, moral injury issues, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Do you remember any help at the time from the VA or the veterans community, uh, help in, for your dad and, the, and your family to just wrap your heads
2: around this? Or you were you on your own? Well, I do remember the VA in Pittsburgh and then the VA in Cleveland. They mostly interviewed my mother, not us. Hmm. That's one thing I remember. They really didn't talk to the kids. And, well, when we learned my father was diagnosed with cancer, the same thing. No one talked to the kids. It was always my mother. So we were not privy of what, you know, the questions and answers. So
1: how interesting. We talk about the World War II generation, and I think this extends even back to the Korean uh, era uh, veterans. Uh, certainly not the Vietnam uh, folks, but you know these older veterans. We often, uh, the way I put it, we often romanticize and even fetishize their experiences. You know, and to listen to the, a lot of the older veterans, they will tell you, Oh, you know, I came home and uh just picked up and got a job and raised a family, got yada. But you know the truth is, many, many, many of those veterans because they're human beings of course they suffered they were workaholics they were alcoholics they struggled they were abusers in their families they they really and those issues we sort of gloss over for you know lots of reasons but i can't imagine that your dad's experience here from what you're telling me was 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 not different than you know with the older veterans experience
2: no i would agree i mean he did drink there was abuse but he didn't talk much about his experience. Uh, so I would tend to agree. I mean, that is what I remember. Um, I loved him so much. I mean, I still love him today. I mean, and I knew what he went through. And, uh, but again, I, it, it, it was tough. I mean, I think no one should endure that. No one, but... You know, people do, and this is the choice that they made, and I feel bad. I mean, I'm not proud of saying this about my father, uh, but people have to hear it. I mean, it was, it wasn't a pleasant childhood knowing that it's like a time bomb sometimes
1: right and to go back to what i was just saying you know when when we overly romanticize the world war ii generation and we gloss over these realities on the home front when these guys came home their families like your family they endured these experiences and suffered with these experiences and i think to this day we still tend to overlook this stuff
2: i agree i mean as i said earlier i mean back. You know, with the VA in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, they never investigated. They never talked about the children, how they're doing. What do they do? How are they feeling? That was one thing that stuck with me, you know, after my father died. That was one thing I thought about. The trips I took to Pittsburgh, trips I took to Cleveland, not one person talked to me.
1: Wow. So you're in the dark, really, about what was going on. Yeah, exactly. I was. Yeah. Did your dad talk about the Vietnam War in, in terms outside of his military experience? In other words, what did he think of the peace movement? What did he think of the politics of the war? Did he ever share that with you? I can
2: tell you, <laughs> I do remember one comment he made at a family reunion that he got spit on when he came back on one of his tours. Ever since then, he just, he he was livid. He told my uncle Nick, and I remember that conversation, I just sat there, he goes, I couldn't believe this person spit on me, on my uniform. So he didn't like it, but I have to admit, my dad never, ever preached about it. He never complained about it, about the protests, not to my knowledge, Hmm. but He made that one comment that he was disappointed that coming back from one of his tours from Vietnam, he got spit on. And that was it. And that was the end of that discussion. I I never heard anything else.
1: That's very interesting. So many uh, Vietnam veterans that I've spoken with, they have definite opinions about what was going on here at the home front, the anti-war movement. To this day, they still hold pretty strong feelings about that.
2: Oh, I'm sure my father did, Kevin. I'm sure he did, but he never shared it. There were some times he was very quiet, silent, and it's like, okay, what's going on? Is this, okay, he's not saying much or whatever, but he's digesting it. I can tell, but he's not saying a word. But again, I think, again, I'm going to go back and say, I'm not proud of this as my father, but given the circumstances, I can understand why he starts saying stuff when he has some drinks, he has some beers and that was it. I mean, my opinion, I'm sure he had some resentment. I'm sure he had some anger about what happened.
1: Did your dad's stories change as you became an adult?
2: No, my father died September 10th, 1982, at the beginning of my senior year in high school. So we never talked about it. Um, I can tell that he wanted us to serve. He pushed that. He felt that that's the right thing to do is pay back. You got to give back to the U.S. You got to give back to our country That's how my dad felt, but speaking on his experience, talking to me about it, not at all. I mean, I thought that trip from Fort Bragg up to Pennsylvania buying property, (laughs) he opened up, but it was nothing about his war experience, nothing about
1: that at all. I don't think that your situation is unfortunately Unique. You know, I think this is very common. Yeah. Too uh, too uncommon. And let me ask you this, Mike. Have you preserved your dad's story in any way, shape or form? Have you written down any of this?
2: Uh, Uh, No, I haven't. As a matter of fact, I was talking with my wife. I thought about writing stuff down from what I can remember growing up because things are coming back to me. You know, the more I think about that, once you contacted me and you wanted me to do this, more things are kind of coming back to me Mm. about, okay, my childhood, growing up at Fort Bragg, living in Massapequa, living in certain areas in Pennsylvania, New York, while my dad was serving his tours in Vietnam. And I thought about it. I never really gave it too much thought, but I thought about it. So are you asking, maybe
1: I should, or? <laughs> well, I'm strongly <laughs> suggesting that you do. Uh, you know, these things, there's no really right or wrong way to do this. I mean, I've spoken with, and they've been on this podcast, uh, sons and daughters who have written up, they've written books about their parents' experience. Yeah. I've had veterans themselves uh, hand me manuscripts that they've written themselves, some very formal, some just on loose leaf paper you know just handwritten but what strikes me in all that is that these oral stories that we have the stories that live in our heads they get eventually put down in some sort of um, permanent form that we can uh, you know that we preserve that that helps us preserve the record there and I, I certainly strong, strongly recommend that in some way whatever memories that you have you know get those down because for your family if nothing else, uh, there will be a record of that of this, these experiences.
2: No, that's a good idea, but but I mean, as I said before, there's a lot of things I was ashamed of growing up, especially in high school, Kevin, that I didn't share with my friends, um, just stuff I went through at home, and when he was diagnosed. With cancer, I dropped everything. I was in soccer. I was swimming. I was. Uh, I dropped everything. I mean, my life changed. I mean, I love this guy. This guy was my hero. And I dropped everything to take care of him. Was I proud of him? A lot of times, no, I wasn't. But I was proud of him for what he did, what he stood for, what he wanted to do. But I just want you to know that
1: well let me ask you mike now his illness was agent orange related correct yes were you aware of it at the time that th- this was the cause
2: no not at the time when it was first diagnosed we weren't told that that was it and then further testing showed up that this is tied in to agent orange and after he died September 10th, 1982. My mother, I encouraged her to research this, to do this. Even the doctors recommended to her that you need to look into this. You need to send these records to Washington and all that. So it came back that it was agent orange related. So my mother, she's getting benefits from the agent orange and That's how it worked. It just worked out that way. I mean, it was like my mother had to be pushed.
1: His illness, service-related illness, really conditions, I think, a lot of things for you about how you think about your dad's service and his sacrifice. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I get it. I mean, it did not deter me from serving. I mean, this is what we sign up for. I, I love this country. If I was young again, I will sign up again. You know, I almost re-enlisted after, you know, the first Persian Gulf War. I didn't do it, but because I would have been divorced, <laughs> but, you know, uh, but my second wife would say, go for it, sign up, we'll knit you blankets, we'll send everybody blankets on your team, but this is how I feel. This is what you do. This is the risk you take, and I would do it all over again, and I'm sure my dad
1: would. What I sense in your story about your dad is a real recognition that your dad really did, just as you know, veterans who are killed in action did. You know, your yep. dad did make a supreme sacrifice. It just took a different form. Yeah, he died in Vietnam and didn't know it. Exactly, and I hear, uh, I hear that recognition, and I appreciate that, and, and I, and I am very. Really, respectful of your take on that and I'm glad that you are articulating that because I think that helps many of us who are you know the sons and daughters of veterans who have didn't didn't die in battle but we you know languished through these illnesses especially you know out of the vietnam war
2: you know kevin this is what my dad did and given that he sacrifices stuff i mean it it's this was him and from talking with my family And talking with other people who knew my father when I got to Fort Bragg, he was always, like, the protector. Even though he was short as me, you know, (laughs) 5'8", he was short as me. Okay, my wife is telling me 5'9", but (laughs) (laughs) it's 5'8", but he died in Vietnam and did not even know it. But, I mean, when he was dying, we knew it. He knew it. And he just said it was
1: time to go. Mike, we have about five minutes left here, and I want I want you to share with me uh, some of your story in the in the army. I know it's not a lot of time for you, but here's what I would I would love for you and your family to do: get your story now. Well, you can tell your story. I say this to all the families who come up to me and they say, "Hey, we didn't know this story, and we never heard this before." And usually, our interviews are around an hour or so. And I always say, hey, you know what, this this is what we get here, but hey, there's a lot more that you can continue to ask about and get down, write it down, whichever form it takes, audio recorder, video recorder, writing it down. But I always encourage families to get those stories down, And, and I certainly encourage you and your family to sit down and get your story, along with your dad's, whatever you can recollect. Yeah. So tell me about your experience in the Army.
2: I joined the Army because that's how I was raised my dad raised me, that you owe something back to this country. The country's been taking care of you. You owe something back. But the Army, Mike, your dad was in the
1: Navy first. He didn't, like, uh, taint
2: you (laughs) about the Navy. Well, that's what I I was thinking. It was like, really? Should I join the Navy first? But no. I joined the Army, and I had to go airborne because my dad was airborne. That was it. I, I had to do that. So... After we graduated, I had the summer, and then I left right after the summer break, right at the beginning of the school period. I went, joined, did my oath, went to Fort Bennett, and then I did 11 Bravo, 1 Papa, which was infantry. I figured, okay, I get more money, I move up quicker in rank, I do that. So I went Airborne, got to Alaska, you know, Arctic paratrooper, and um, I got my honorable discharge August 29th, 1986. Had some great experiences. Once I got to Fort Bragg, though, I was at Fort Bragg for a while. And that's where I met some people that knew my father, went back to her old house. I love Fort Bragg. I wish I could have stayed there, but that didn't work out.
1: You were in the 82nd Airborne, correct?
2: Well, I was with the 82nd. And then I went to the 172nd Infantry Brigade in Alaska. They're no longer up there. That's the 25th, I believe. That's up there right now. But only uh, one company up there in Anchorage, Charlie Airborne, and that's where I served out my time. Mm -hmm. I missed the 82nd. I wish I was back. Yeah. Well, I know you
1: always speak very highly of, of the Airborne guys and the 82nd. In my project, we have wonderful stories of guys who serve with uh, the Airborne in general, but the 82nd in particular. I've got some some really powerful short stories on my website, World War II 82nd Airborne stories, and they are just uh, remarkable.
2: I love those. Any soldier that was with the 101st 82nd in World War Two. I love those stories. They are the real McCoys, right there.
1: The real McCoy, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, they are. They are the real McCoys. But, yeah, um, you know, I did not have much to brag about. I love jumping out of airplanes. I love my blood wings when they gave it to me. <laughs> it meant a lot to me because, you know, I go back to that song, Of uh, Sergeant Sandler, Green Berets, put silver wings on my son's chest. So that meant a lot to me when that happened. Sure. I just wish my father was alive to do that. My mother couldn't make it down. So I had to have my drill sergeant in AIT give me blood wings. And he was with the Anti Second Airborne. So it meant a lot to me that. I had someone, a paratrooper,
1: do that. That's a wonderful story. Well, Mike, I wanna thank you so much for not only sharing your story here, I wish we had more time to do that. And again, I hope you and your family can sit down and record as much of your story as possible. But I, I really want to thank you for talking about your dad's experience and and also bearing with my questions about vicarious storytelling. That's that's a, an, a that's a topic that I find very interesting, and we have to face it more and more because so many veterans are passing away, and we are losing those first-hand accounts. And you know, the really the the essence of oral history, we know what I do, is to capture these first-hand accounts. Well, when people pass on, we can no longer get those first-hand accounts. So I w- really want to thank you for. You know, matter of fact, this is a record of your dad's experience right here on this podcast episode.
2: Well, thank you so much for that, Kevin. Again, I just want to say that my father, I'm so proud of him. I think of him every day. I pray for him every day. Uh, I'm glad that I was able to share with you, Kevin, of, you know, stuff that abuse, um, I'm not proud of all this, but I told you, no holds barred. I'm going to tell you, it, it's this is my childhood. You know, this is what I lived. You know, my father went through rough times, but that's the path he chose. And you know what? In my book, I miss him every day. I got his flag. It's sad that, you know, cancer took him. But one thing you have to understand, Kevin, he sat us down. This is one thing I missed out of our interview, and I hope you don't mind Give me a few minutes, he sat us down when he knew it was terminal, and he said, he's done, it's terminal. And I remember that evening, and I didn't sleep for two days when he told me that, that is terminal. There's nothing more that they can do. This guy was a warrior. And when he died, Kevin, he lost so much weight. I could pick him off the bed, oh seriously. I mean, and it was so, I mean, I was devastated. Seeing this guy who was stocky, 5'9 or 5'8, stocky, S-O-B. And he died like that. It hurt, I mean, as a child, it hurt to see that.
1: listening to Veteran Voices, the oral history podcast. This is a production of the Social Voice Project. This podcast is dedicated to understanding the voices and stories of our lives through the firsthand authentic accounts of lived experiences we call oral histories. And today our very special guest has been Army Airborne Veteran, Mike Lombardi, talked a little bit about his story, but we mostly talked about his father, Archie, who was a career master sergeant in the army who eventually died from Agent Orange. Mike, thank you so much for sharing these stories about your father's experience. I know some of this is very painful and and raw, so thank you so much for finding the wherewithal to share some of this truthful
2: experience. Thank you. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you so much.
1: Listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. man. Well, listen, you take care, and um, we'll be going at it again on Facebook, I'm sure.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, anytime you want to interview me again, get the wife on the horse. She'll give you an interview. (laughs) About me. Okay.